Troy Lost a Bet. This week, I'm here with two new co-hosts. And we're definitely upgrades. Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Karen. And I'm Mac. And we're... Oh, speaking municipally. <laughs> speaking municipally. Wait, what? Yeah, Andrew will say, and we're... And then yes. all three of us at the same time. Oh, speaking I municipally. Okay. okay. And we're... Speaking, speaking municipally. municipally. Nailed it. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 162. My normal co-host, Troy, is here in the background. Say hello, Troy. Under duress. <laughs> but Andrew is hosting the show, and we're going to get to that. My co-hosts this week are Andrew Knack, counselor for Ward Nakota Iska, and Karen Tang, counselor for Ward Gary Hio. Uh, welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right, before we go any further, on to the rapid fire. The war on cars has been ongoing for over 100 years, but it really ramped up in the middle of last decade when Edmonton City Council approved eight kilometers of dedicated bike lanes in the downtown. Speaking municipally, was able to get an update from car army leader General Motors. He stated that ever since those bike lanes were approved, it's been incredibly hard on people who drive. With only 11,000 kilometers of road and dedicated bike lanes using only about 0.1% of that space, if we continue at this rate, it's possible that in a few hundred years, there will be no space at all for cars. That's not fair. And we will keep fighting this war to make sure that people can drive only safely through the city using a car. 45,000 Edmontonians lost power on Monday night due to a tripped Epcor substation. My Nicole reportedly tweeted, I told you so, but no one can confirm this as half of the city is blocked by him. After losing his bet and putting on an embarrassing display of what you might generously call skill during the Extra Life Gaming Marathon, Speaking Municipally co-host Troy Havlick is again preparing his cat to run for re-election as the president of the Mill Creek Off-Leash Park, who, as we know, has a much brighter future in politics than her owner. COVID has caused unexpected problems for the city's stray animal population, as staff shortages due to illness reduced capacity at Edmonton's animal care and control center. Unable to access a warm bed, stray dogs and cats reportedly have formed a union and initiated a letter-writing campaign to Choice Cat, complaining about unsafe living conditions. You ever hear of educational rap? It's the thing that anti-drug campaigns used in the 90s, and it was very lame to communicate with the kids. That was what that rapid fire segment was. <laughs> Some brief pieces of feedback. One, just for fact checking, YegCC fact check, Andrew. Mike Nickel deleted his Twitter account, not just blocked everyone. So there's that. And Addie has a penis. Um, not a she. <laughs> oh, I should have gone with they. I didn't know that. Well, messed it up. That's okay. Go ahead and chill for some ads now. <laughs> Good job, guys. <laughs> Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by the Alberta Association of Optometrists, proudly celebrating a century of caring for Albertans. It happens. Many people don't call their optometrist for urgent eye care when they need it. From spring cleaning mishaps to winter eye infections, if you or your family have an eye emergency, doctors of optometry are trained to diagnose, treat, and prescribe medications. No referral necessary. And just a reminder, Alberta health coverage is available towards your urgent eye care appointment. To find an optometrist in your area, visit optometrists.ab.ca. 
The Alberta Association of Optometrists represents almost 800 doctors of optometry in over 80 communities across the province. Members are highly trained, regulated health professionals who provide eye health and vision care to Albertans. You can learn more at optometrists.ab.ca. All right, we are back in the new year. It is 2022. We are starting off a little bit differently on the podcast. Council is not back until the next week. Uh, Andrew, Karen, Troy, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Are, are you having a Happy New Year, Troy? <laughs> I was until Wednesday, January 12th at 5.30 p.m. when we clicked start recording. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, you both started your term, uh, your, this current term on city council, uh, very shortly after the election in October, and we had a really big discussion with budget. So it kind of feels like, you know, we're well underway. But on the other hand, the new year is kind of like a fresh start. It kind of feels like you're starting now. Uh, I'm curious to know, first of all, from from both of you, how does how does it feel as a councillor in the chair? Have the last few months been just sort of a random thing in 2021? Do you see it as part of the term? How are you feeling about how things have gone so far? I think it is still more of the wrapping up of the old term of council in a way, because again, we were, we were going and doing budget deliberations of this last year of the four-year cycle. You know, we've got a lot of new folks who have joined up who are learning. And so in a way, I, I don't think we've had that opportunity yet to really begin to shape this the things going forward in the way that this council term will want to. But, but what I love about this council and what I love about having as many new people as we have is that we're going into a whole new world. And what I mean by that is that even when I came onto council eight years ago, I was one of five new members of council and I felt like I had to integrate into an established system. But with this council, that's not the case. We have so many new people, they don't care about the old system. And that's good. I think that allows us to look at how we've been doing things, why we've been doing things and and make it our own. And so I'm really excited about how this new group is going to be able to sort of shake things up in a way. I know it's a little bit cliche, but it's a it's a good way of describing how I think the next four years are going to go. Is that track for you, Karen, or is your take a little bit different as one of the one of the new faces on council? Yeah, I was reflecting on this. Uh, we're now January twelfth. Uh, we've been um, we're sworn in October twenty sixth. So these, you know, between now and then, just under you know three months or so. And I feel like I've been there for a way longer than that. Uh, things have been moving. Uh, you know, speed of light, and uh, just got information thrown on you from every single direction. Uh, your listener may or may not know, but I used to work for the city. And I think a huge difference, obviously, is as a former city employee, you're really focused on your content area. So you look at the reports that's really relevant to your work, whereas now, you know, it is everything under the sun. And I am learning so much. This feels, personally, it feels really right. And uh, I am also just enjoying learning from, and not only, you know, veteran counselors like Councillor Nack here, but also my uh, my peers, um, some of whom you know have more, I guess, municipal government knowledge than than others. But everyone brings certainly different perspectives. We ask different questions. We work as a team, and yeah, I am I am enjoying it. Lots of contentious and challenges um, ahead, but it's no, it's been good. It's been good. It's pretty consistent feedback I've heard so far that Andrew is among the most helpful and generous of the existing counselors. I'm sure they're all willing to to give their time and expertise, but Andrew, it seems like you've carved out a role for yourself as a little bit of the mm, 
you're not that old, but the elder statesman the, the, the of council. old man in air quotes yeah. on council. Yeah. 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 Is that intentional or did you just fall into that? You know, it wasn't, it, I don't think it was intentional because when I went into this election, I wasn't expecting that the, I was going to be the longest serving city councilor in eight years. I thought we were going to have potentially at least one or two others who have had similar amounts of experience. And well, so to clarify, I, when you went into this election, you thought you were going to be mayor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was like a year and a half ago, long before, and then, then changed my mind. So, but yeah, it's, it's interesting since the election. And, and once the results came in, I, I sort of shifted my approach into what I thought I was going to work on over the next four years adjusted. And I felt like now I can play a bit more of a role in, in helping to provide guidance and advice, not forcing it on people. Folks don't want it. They don't, uh, then I'm not going to go and say, this is how you should do it. Listen to me because I've been doing this forever. But I really do appreciate how willing folks are to to gather so many different perspectives. And I'm you know happy I can play a small part of that. All right. Well, let's shift gears a little bit now and talk about what is coming up. This is a fantastic topic to have both of you here to talk about because Troy and I prefer to talk about decisions you've already made rather than things that are coming up, the promise of the future. Great to have you here to, to help us you know, get the lay of the land for 2022. And you've helpfully put together a list of some issues that I guess are on the agenda for council in 2022. And I have to note that you know, budget is up there, you know, the four-year cycle is up there. And I would expect that to be near the top of the list. It's a pretty substantial decision that you're going to make. But police service funding formula is pretty far down this list. <laughs> but maybe I'll turn it over to you, Andrew. Maybe you can orient us a little bit. What are you thinking about for 2022? What should the listener know that they're going to hear about on Speaking Municipally over the next can I just weeks. jump in there quickly? Um, I don't want you to misinterpret the list. Uh, <laughs> it is a bit of a brain dump, and it certainly by no means prioritizes any of these things. Okay. You know, we are just, I mean, I think there is a there is a lot on the table, and we are just, you know, kind of trying our best to kind of highlight the things that we think the public should really keep an eye out. And uh, I would say the police funding is a really big one. But it is part of that budget discussion, along with many other things. It is our biggest budget item, and and, and we're going to get to that, right? But let's not misinterpret this list as a priority list. I can't misinterpret this list because, like a hostile hosting <laughs> environment, I wasn't given access to the document. That's because, like, I, I've been watching, and for the listeners, uh, we have our cameras on right now, so we get to watch each other, and I'm watching Troy with a smirk. It's just like waiting for failure to happen. He just wants <laughs> us to crash and burn. Uh, little does he realize how how the listeners are going to be demanding our presence in future episodes after they hear how good it can be. But let's go to the budget. Uh, the reason why we put it high up on the list is is because truly, uh, and you hear this phrase a lot of times, but but you understand somebody's priorities or at least the government's priorities through what they actually fund in the budget. And so we now operate under four-year budget cycles. So I mentioned a bit earlier that we just wrapped up the last year of our four-year budget from 2019 to 2022. And then at closer to the end of this year, November, December, we're going to be spending time on our 2023 to 2026 budget. This is truly where we can put into action the things that we campaigned on, where we can show Edmontonians what we think is actually important. Because if you don't fund it, then it's clearly not important. You could talk all day and night that you want about certain things, but if you're not willing to put money behind it, it really means nothing. And so that's why we wanted to flag this as something that folks really need to think about. And not just in November and December 
when we have a budget public hearing and when we start those debates. But when what in what leads up to that point in terms of making sure we've identified what all Edmontonians priorities are and what they want to see included in this budget, because if we wait till November or December to try to add those things in, we're going to be reacting. We want to spend the time over this year of identifying those things early on to help provide guidance to our city administration who will be spending months and months developing this four year budget and presenting it to us. Well, during this last budget deliberation in December, in our wrap-up episode, I think I speculated to Troy that uh, council may have hemmed themselves in a little bit in that you made a lot of decisions about some big amounts of money in this last budget discussion that, you know, are now part of the the next four-year budget cycle already. Is there any truth to that? Do you feel like you've got some room to make decisions that are, you know, around things that you've campaigned on? Uh, or are you feeling like, you know, compared to the last four-year budget cycle, you won't have as many opportunities this time to have enough money basically in the budget to, to, to approve some new things? I'll start and then, you know, send it over to Karen after is that, I mean, when I look at this budget, this upcoming budget compared to the last four-year budget cycle, um, yeah, I, I do think it's not going to be quite as large as, as what we did from 2019 to 2022. And we've approved some items that will continue to eat into potential funding opportunities for 23 to 26, some rec centers that were approved, the Ambleside Maintenance Facility, uh, Valley Zoo. But there is still, I think, quite a bit of opportunity to invest in, in key priorities. We have to remember that uh, actually it was back in the 90s that the Council of the Day created what was called the Debt Management Fiscal Policy, and we still use it to this day. And it sets out strict uh, limits for how much debt the city can take on. It's actually far more strict than what's permitted by the provincial government under the Municipal Government Act. And yet we are still well within that limit. We've got potential to invest in key priorities. And I think they are going to look different. My, my sense and interested in other perspectives is that this upcoming four-year budget, we're not going to see these large-scale $400 million uh, budget items. We're going to see a lot of smaller priorities that help improve the quality of life across the city that help us really lean into that idea of the 15-minute city as identified in the city plan so that people can live more locally. So that's where, where I'm sitting. But what do you think, Karen? No, I mean, I think there's there's definitely room. I mean, I think you're right. We did approve those big, the big ones, uh, some of those big investments. Uh, you know, certainly they've been sitting there actually for years and being kicked down the road. I see the Lewis Farms glow off Councillor Knack right here. It's still there. Are you sure that's not holding head? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, and then we're not too, I think, I think not too bottlenecked you know, so much of the, you know, other investments, you know, along with those decisions, we've also asked, you know, administration to explore some of these smaller scale amenities and infrastructure that can benefit communities at the local level. And, you know, remember, this is a this is a four year uh, cycle, but every year we do adjust, um, you know, the budget uh, twice a year and we'll continue to kind of react and respond um, and try to remain flexible to to the changing condition and changing environment. And also just speaking to thinking about some of the things that we have committed to that we ran that many of us ran on in terms of our platforms. Yes, you know, vast majority will require investment. But I also think sometimes some some of that stuff is also about culture shift uh, and changing the way we do things that might be cost neutral, that might uh, that doesn't really necessarily require resource, uh, you know, financially, but, you know, maybe require other types of investment. Given those 
answers that you gave, do you think this next budget might be the first budget in a decade where neighborhoods don't have to fight tooth and nail to keep their community pools open? Yeah. Because Oliver and every single budget is slated for closure and every single budget, the community has to rally. Are we going to skip that this time or do we got to do that rigmarole? I think it's uh, time we skip that. And, and again, I think we've got guiding policy for that. The city plan is clear about what people want. And the city plan wasn't just approved, you know, it was approved by council, but it was created by Edmontonians. They're the ones that told us what they want to see in their city. And overwhelmingly, we heard from people about that desire to be able to live more locally, have access to more of these amenities around. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, no, we don't need to go through another debate of everyone coming out. Maybe we can cut the public hearing in half just by ensuring that those aren't on the budget this time and that we're going to just fund them. Uh, so yeah. maybe we can save our time. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to commit to that right now, Choi. Thanks for baiting us into that. Um, but I do think, you know, the direction, you know, that I that I am seeing not only within Edmonton, but, you know, in other uh, jurisdictions is that people are focusing on hyperlocal things. People are focusing on things that they can access easily. That it's and it's not just infrastructure. You know, give an example. You know, the rise of you know little libraries on every block. Uh, I think speaks to a desire for people to kind of have access to those things closer to where they live, um, and that's a trend everywhere. Um, and I am looking forward to when when this particular report about neighborhood infrastructure comes back. Um, but until then, you know. Uh, I guess we shall remain open. So budget is uh, this large item kind of underpins all of the decisions that you make. As you said, it's kind of the primary way that you can follow through on the things you say is to allocate money toward them. There's another kind of budget, though, that I'm curious about that I'm expecting we're going to hear more about over the next uh, you know, three years, and that's the carbon budget and the policy decisions that have been made around the climate emergency. Are we going to see the kind of discussion at council that we do we have money for that? Also, do we have room in the carbon budget for that? Are we going to get to that level? What, what, what do you think we should expect? Uh, you know, I think Edmonton has really been a leader in this area. And even this last fall budget adjustment, and many of us were feeling lacking in the tools to help us make those decisions. And this was one of them. And kind of top of mind for me is like, you know, by the time we get to the fall and we talk about these decisions, what does that even look like? You know, carbon budgeting, what does that even mean? And I know that, you know, throughout the next many months, we're going to have uh, more of that discussion. I know that it's, it feels a little bit like we're, we're building the plane as we fly. But, you know, it is very much part of that learning by doing. And uh, I know that during the budget discussion, we're going to be having more, I guess, sharing of how how are we actually going to apply in practice. And we'll be and I'm looking forward to that, uh, to, to that learning. Yeah. And, and I think at this point, it's it's a requirement to have proper carbon budget attached to every item we're discussing to truly understand this, I, you know, we don't have the luxury of waiting on action on climate change. It's why even before in the last term of council, we approved an updated community energy transition strategy that recognizes the need for us to hit that 1.5 degree target. This isn't just a, a nice thing we should consider doing. This is, this is a significant issue across the world. And that's just one thing we can do to make sure we're delivering on that. Yeah, and I think if we if we you know do this properly, uh, a lot of cities around Canada are watching. You know, what is Edmonton going to do so that we can kind of learn this and apply it in our own jurisdictions? So I think it's exciting times. All right, another item on your list that is 
kind of related to this, I guess. Not my favorite topic, but certainly one of Troy's favorite topics. Snow and ice control. Uh, it turns out that all you have to do to clear snow is turn up the temperature a little bit, and it all melts, as we've seen this week. But what what do you what did you two want to say about snow and ice control? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to just jump in before because this has been a long running topic in the podcast, and in fact, on the Speaking Municipally first live episode featuring Andrew Knack and Sarah Hamilton, I laid out the facts and the figures and the justification for calcium chloride, and Andrew Knack publicly and live doubled down that no, <laughs> calcium chloride is unacceptable and destroys all our infrastructure and all manner of pseudoscience, and really doubled down uh, on the position. And am I correct in that you're backpedaling on that now? No, uh, and you weren't even correct about the initial thing you just said, but that's not a huge shock. Um, <laughs> But to be fair, I didn't support the continued use of calcium chloride on the roads. I did support it, though, on uh, active pathways, so our, our bike trails and our sidewalks. But I, I actually think the bigger issue is is not that tool so much as that it's the lack of tools we have. We've seen our roadway inventory grow. We've seen our active pathway inventory grow so much over the years. And we really haven't kept pace with the equipment that I think we need to do the work. I mean, for me, when I think about sidewalks, there's there's parks in the city that only have the perimeter sidewalk cleared all winter long because we legitimately do not have enough equipment and enough staff to maintain that to a standard people expect. And frankly, even the ones we're supposed to maintain, I still don't think we're, we're hitting the mark we need to and uh, to respond as quickly as we should. And I think the standard at which we hold ourselves to of clearing within 48 hours isn't high enough. We need to clear some of these sidewalks and active pathways no longer than 12 hours after a snowfall because it is it's a major safety issue and so we have tools to use there but i think we need more uh, equipment because we we sold off a ton in the 90s and we've never really replenished it in a way that i think justifies the the service that the people expect so snow clearing is the new like deferred maintenance that that's going to be the line of this thing instead of we had potholes because of the 90s it's we have ice because of the 90s <laughs> no we don't do a good enough job maintaining the ice because of the 90s and and i think we have a report coming in april that will inform our next budget that's going to talk about if we wanted to increase the standard here's the type of equipment we should have in-house here's the staffing requirement and here's the budget implications and then ideally this next council or this council will be able to approve that uh, a heightened standard going into the next budget because you know our budget really hasn't changed it's been about 60 to 65 million for 10 plus years and i don't think that's good enough for the service that we expect it's at times somewhat easy to navigate by vehicle maybe not so much on the local roads but it is it is genuinely unsafe, I think, in many situations, if you do not drive in the city in the winter and, and it's not good enough. And I, um, I don't know if folks know this, but currently there is a pilot project going on with city operations around, you know, kind of blading down to the concrete and increasing that service level in priority four, which are residential roads. And it's not citywide, but it is in select neighborhoods um, across the city. And the goal there is to figure out, you know, what does it take uh, for us to do this, you know, citywide? And I mean, I, I will expect, you know, um, a budget increase for sure if we want to see our roads clear better. And I will also just add, you know, being uh, I this year, I, I kind of took over the baton from Andrew here uh, as the council sponsor on the Accessibility Advisory Committee which works with diverse communities uh, and and people uh, living with disabilities and snow removal is actually a pre, you know a very top uh issue there um and as you can imagine you know if 
if we can improve our, our roads and sidewalks um, for people with disabilities, uh, then we can improve those conditions for, for everyone. But at the same time, it's not just the city's responsibility, it is everyone's responsibility. And I think we have a lot more to do uh, in terms of rallying kind of that work together. So, I mean, it is important, and I'm curious to know why, Mac, you don't like this topic, but we spend so much time talking about it. And during orientation, I just remember, you know, a couple months ago, this was the, the most riveting <laughs> info session <laughs> we had. Um, uh, well, for me, it's just like it snows every year. It's not a new thing. Like, I, it's it's frankly most of the time shocking to me the kind of discussion we have, which is like, how do we clear snow? The same way we've always cleared snow. It's not rocket science. You said something, though, that I want to ask you about, Karen, which is um, it's not the city's responsibility, it's everyone's. And I guess when it comes to sidewalks, my question is, could it be the city's responsibility? Could we do away with this idea that you have to clear your own sidewalk and just fund that through our tax Yeah, dollars. you know, I, we had a pretty lengthy discussion uh, uh, about this uh, in uh, another info session about uh, snow removal. We have a lot of orientation, a lot of info yeah. sessions. Uh, it feels a bit like school sometimes uh, in the early days. But, you know, I asked that very question. You know, I think last term, Councillor Paquette also asked that question. And I think the answer is, you know, budget implication wise, it's about four times of what, of what we currently spend. And also, you know, one, one of the things I asked was, you know, Lots of other cities, you know, we're we're not we're not new to this winter city idea uh, in Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, why is it that so many cities can can do a much better job when it comes to sidewalks than us? And I think, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, those cities have tools uh, that we don't necessarily always use. Kelsey Cora being one of them, for example. Oh. <laughs> I want to interrogate it a little further because Mac hates this topic and, you know, I'm vindictive to everyone on the podcast. Two more things we've got to get to, Troy. I know. With snow clearing specifically, I'm wondering if you're familiar with Caroline Perez. She's the author of Invisible Women Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. And she makes the very solid point that snow clearing, and particularly what we do, priority one, which is the white mud, the hand aid, the large major roads, is quite antithetical to a GBA plus analysis of snow clearing because local roads and sidewalks, they, they have a predisposition to being used more by women mm-hmm. uh, for family trips, for local grocery trips, for school trips, that sort of thing. We are supposed to be taking a GBA plus analysis on all of our policy perspectives. Has this been applied to snow clearing? And are we ready for a radical rethought of like, maybe priority one is the sidewalk and not the white mud. Man, I love that. I will, I will love to see us prioritize sidewalks, to be honest. Um, and I think I've, I mean, I think the city, you know, does GBA plus, um, but certainly not radically as, as what you're talking about. Are we ready? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I do think that we need, because it comes up every time, every year, the same kind of debate, you know, why are we not doing this? Why are we not clearing the sidewalks? Um, we're not ticketing fast enough. You know, it's no seniors and people with walkers and strollers. Can we can't access to anything? But I think something needs to change. Um, and so I am looking forward when this report comes back, when uh, when we actually kind of talk about this in terms of that budget implication and put money where our, our mouth is. Yeah, I think that's that's the key point. I mean, I think we're ready for it. The question is, are we ready to pay for it? Um, we, we have good policy. I think the, the policy now in place recognizes that we need to prioritize safety, accessibility, efficiency. But 
again, back to this earlier point about why we talked about budget as one of the biggest items to look ahead to is that we can say that every day. And if we don't actually invest in it, then it, then we don't mean it. So I'm conscious of time and and there's so many other things that I, I, we were hoping to touch on. I've got two more I want to do. So I can steer us that direction if you're okay with that. Yeah. If we go over time, it's because Andrew Knack poorly hosted this episode. <laughs> the listeners want to hear all the detail here, Troy. They'll be happy to have an extended time knowing the quality of this episode. All right. I'm sure we're going to hear much more about snow and ice control uh, this year. So my not my favorite. I can't. Not everything can be my favorite topic, but that's okay. We'll hear more about that. I want to talk about two other things. First... I was glad to see you wrote transportation on this list, although my questions have nothing to do with the bullet points you put under them. Uh, I, like most Edmontonians, want to know two things. When will the Valley Line open and when can I get my ARC card? And I know as city councillors, there's not really anything you can do about that, but I'm sure you hear about those things from constituents. What would you say to them? Yeah, Valley Line is slated for late summer. We don't have an exact date, uh, but believe believe me when I say I think we're we're just as frustrated. You know, I know in uh, in Wargata Hill, there's actually so much enthusiasm for the opening of the Valley Line, and the delay I, I'm afraid is actually killing the enthusiasm people might have for public transit, and I think so that that is a huge shame. There's some pretty creative math going on that we are at like 96 or 97 percent completion, and yet it's another six months until it's done. It doesn't make any sense to me. Andrew, what do you think about Art Card? It's been an issue for as long as you've been a counselor. Longer, actually. It started before. Yeah. Counselor Don Iveson uh, and Counselor Ben Anderson were, were uh, strong advocates of that. So it, finally, I mean, it, it's oper- parts of it are operating. We are in a pilot test phase. Uh, and you've probably seen on social media, some folks sharing images of them receiving their cards. So we're like finally in my mind, I feel like this is an actually the year where it will be in full implementation. And it's because we're actually testing it out. It has been painful to see how long it's been taking because I mean, we see so many other jurisdictions that have this type of technology in different variations. So uh, it's long overdue, but people are actually going to be testing it out. So they've, they've received their cards in the mail and that's really exciting. I was not accepted for the pilot, but my wife was. And uh, she's been using it this week and posting stories about it. And the number one question she gets from people is, how do I get one of those? I, that, absolutely. And I'm surprised you couldn't like, uh, you know, say, hey, I'm part of the media. Where's my card? <laughs> they probably Since saw you... my name and were like, no, not that guy. <laughs> uh, before we move off transportation, you did write bus network redesign on here. I do feel like that is an issue lots of people want to know about. What can you tell our listeners about what's coming up on that in 2022? Well, there is a very key report that is coming to committee next week. So I'm sure both of you will be very much on it. Um, and it's about sharing of some of the learnings that's, that has happened you know, since uh, the redesign went into effect. Um, and it's one that's very much of interest for me as a, I will say this is probably the number one issue I heard at the doors. Uh, literally every other um, house. And I think that's really heartening to know that, you know, in Wargata Hill, even though 75% suburban, 25% industrial, there's a lot of public transit lovers and, and, and users and talk to many people who don't actually have cars, that they take bus 45 minutes to an hour to get to their work. That is only a 10 minute drive away. And that is just so unacceptable. Um, so I am looking forward to this report coming back so that, you know, we can start making some of those uh, improvements. All right. Well, underscoring how 
broad your jobs are and how many different things you need to talk about. We're not going to get to everything on your list here. I see zoning bylaw renewal, the provincial budget coming up in February, innovation and economic development, lots of really important topics. Implementation of city plan is something I want to know more about. But I think what we should end with is the police funding formula. And a follow-up on the, that discussion that happened, the very you know, intense and rich discussion that have continued with budget in December. I understand we expect to see some sort of a report on the funding formula and that council will have an opportunity potentially to make some decisions about that. Is that true? And if so, how do you feel uh, council will handle it this year? Will you actually make a decision or... Will it, as I criticized you in the last episode, further uh, the can kick down the road? And maybe, maybe Karen, what do you think as the the new counselor? Well, first, I want to kind of address this point about not so much the funding formula, but a bit about the fund that was, you know, diverted uh, from mm-hmm. from the police funding. Because I think many people criticized that decision because they said, "Well, you didn't have a plan." And I actually disagree with that because you know, sev- several weeks prior to the budget process, I have put forward a motion for administration to come back with a stronger, more robust methodology uh, to allocate that funding, which has now grown uh, because of, you know, the last fall budget adjustment to support community well-being and safety outcomes and in a way that alleviate the pressure on policing. Uh, right. We actually currently don't really have a framework that, and that's actually not very helpful uh, in terms of decision making and and to say this is what we have planned. Um, and so that is coming back uh, in Q1 and I think that will be a major I guess a major framework to help inform uh, the the upcoming formula discussion uh, that will be coming months after. So that report you're talking about is some guidance on how to spend the money that is now that been allocated toward community uh, safety well-being. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's a really uh, that's actually been a missing piece, um, Andrew. Yeah, I, I was just going to say I, to your point, to your point, Mac. Like we we have to do it. We we can't kick the can down the road. We have money set aside doing nothing um, yeah. right now. And we need to put it to work if we want to see the benefits of focusing on community safety and community wellness. We need to start investing in it. So the last thing I want to see is that money that has now been set aside sitting around for the rest of the year, not actually being put into action. Otherwise, we are going to spend yet another year waiting to start addressing these proactive things that will hopefully help reduce calls for service and allow police to focus their time and attention on 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 crime and not on social issues. I'll let you jump in here, Troy, but just one quick question uh, to follow up on the de- December stuff. You get all kinds of emails, phone calls, you hear from constituents. Do you have a sense of whether people are asking for further cuts to the police budget, increases to the police budget? Is the chief correct in saying that it's really only the Twitterati that want to see something happen there? Like from where you're sitting and the kind of input that you get, do you have a sense of where Edmontonians are at on this? I think it's going to depend on the the wards uh, and and folks living throughout each of the wards. And, and I say that because, you know, in the ward I represent, I heard from far more people who would prefer more funding. Mm-hmm. I, as I don't necessarily support that either. I didn't support the motion that ultimately passed, but I don't actually support more funding. So I've tried to engage those folks and talk about why we need to start shifting and, and how continuing doing the same old, same old, old of just increasing that budget year after year after year hasn't produced the results that we want. Right. But I think 
at least in, in, in the ward I represent, and I think in a number of wards, you, you actually might have a majority of people who would prefer more funding. There's still a very strong group of people who want to make sure there's even more reduced or more cut from the budget. But we have to recognize that reality as part of that conversation and, and how to hopefully inform everyone of why we need to actually make this shift. So you think there's an education component that we that we need. Yeah. How about, how about you, Karen? Yeah, I think it's a mixed bag. Uh, you know, certainly we've heard folks so too, uh, who are writing in about, you know, please do make sure that they get this increase and if not more, but I've also, you know, um, heard from residents who say, you know, this was a good decision. Yeah, I think some, one thing that many of us new counselors have really come to, I guess, really kind of sink in is that policing is is incredibly complicated and complex. You know, every year uh, we basically write this blank check. Uh, We don't actually um, oversee the budget. We don't, we can't, we don't actually, we can't tell the police how to spend that money. We just hand it over. The the commission oversees that. Um, And in the meantime, this whole police service is governed by the provincial legislation separate from, you know, the Municipal Governance Act, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I just think that uh, you know we council wants to see the value for for the funds that we're getting. We, right now, we don't actually have a way to know. Uh, you know, are we are we really getting the value for the dollar? Uh, quite yeah. frankly, to use some of those refrain. Um, so, what I'm interested in is you know how are we making sure? You know, the, I guess I guess for me, a couple key things that I hear from residents when it comes to policing and safety is is police going to respond to my call? right away? And am I being treated respectfully when I interact with the police? And both of those things, I, you know, I think we can do so much better um, if we look at the outcomes that, that, that we're trying to strive for without to say, you know, we're going to keep increasing that. Because if you actually look at the data, police response rate isn't proportional to the increase they get every year. You know, that, yeah. and, and, and I just, and so some of those information just didn't, I, I wasn't convinced that, um, that this is the right way to go. Nor is decrease or increase in crime or any of those other measures is not correlated with how much money they get. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's just time that we like we have a proper conversation um, beyond you know uh, a slide deck and and we and I do think we need people beyond the police service in the room. Um, you know how 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 do we go about that? I, I think uh, I think is the work for this year. I think I have one follow up question here. It's related to the police funding because we continually frame the police funding as a transfer. You know we need to reallocate police funding to community organizations because we know it saves us money. We've all heard this spiel. We understand it. Yes, we accept that premise. But we have two provincial parties in the province of Alberta right now. And the only thing they have in common is they want to one up each other in their disdain for the photo radar program. There is going to be an $18 million cut to the Edmonton Police Service in the upcoming five years. I would bet my podcast (laughs) on it. Photo radar is on the decline and it funds the EPS to the tune of $18 million. And if that gets cut, there's no reallocation there. What's the plan? This is a huge revenue center. We debated at length about $11 million here or there. That's $18 million. What's the plan for this inevitability? Well, that's actually part of what we have to talk about in this upcoming budget cycle, because I, I'm also expecting that's going to be gone. Uh, yeah, it's been fascinating to watch uh, both provincial parties try to determine which one hates photoradar more. And uh, even though they have proven evidence of its uh, safety and efficacy, and and yet they, they, for some reason, don't want to use that tool. So we have to plan for it. And, and it's not just on the policing front. We have to plan for it from a traffic safety front yeah. and the investment we make into traffic safety every year. 
So we need to build into a budget, ideally a fixed amount that likely has to grow each year, almost like what they did with neighborhood renewal in 2009. They started off with a, a certain amount and then each year it grew and grew and grew to create a new set amount. We're going to have to do that with traffic safety work in the city because that's not going to be a tool that we can expect will be around. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that, you know, uh, our our city department is uh, deeply affected by by the photo radar um, and the amount of you know incoming messages I get about road safety uh, in the neighborhoods, I actually think is a far outweighs what I get on the police funding. To be to to, to be very frank, mm-hmm. and you know when we look at initiatives like Street Lab that is very community led and community driven, those are good things, and there is such a demand for it. Yet, uh, you know the department that would you know that would. You know the funding that that might go towards this is 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 going to be de- is going to be affected. Um, and you know, as a city, what do you think about how how are we going to you know compensate for that? Well, uh, it's been really fascinating talking to both of you and getting a sense of uh, what we can expect in the year ahead for city council. Is there anything else that you would uh, you would just want to highlight? I know we didn't get to everything, but anything else you want to leave our our listeners with? And and Karen, maybe we start with you. Well, you know, I, I do want to highlight, I think it's interesting that it's 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 myself and Andrew on the show today. Uh, we're both on the board of Alberta Municipalities, you know, which is a coalition of municipalities across the province. And I think this year there's a, a number of priorities um, on the agenda, given that we have a, you know, a, a provincial election coming next year. So there are a number of uh, priorities, and one of which is, you know, the, the provincial police force. And there's a lot of engagement underway, lots of conversations. And while it doesn't affect uh, Edmonton directly, you know, ultimately we are going to be impacted when it comes to money. And um, and so certainly hope folks, you know, keep an eye out for some of these, um, I would say, election issues. Um that de- that has ve- no very much implications at the city level. Oh, so we're not done with elections. <laughs> so I believe we're close to the conclusion of this municipal politics podcast that interestingly, no one cares about. Andrew, congratulations on hosting a podcast that reaches 12 listeners. You did it. You did Rolling it. Success. I hope people put reviews in. Uh, review on iTunes, speaking municipally. Yeah, and if you yeah. previously gave it one star because of Troy, go back and re-review it and give it five and just let people know how much you liked myself and Karen. Amazing. I'm excited to have our reviews tanked by this episode. I'm done. I'm not I'm not going to do a closer. I'm not going to triage out. Mac, Andrew, who, who cares? Someone else do it. <laughs> well, first, let me say, counselors, Andrew Knack, Karen Tang, thank you so much for uh, co-hosting the show with me today and uh, giving us a little bit of a look ahead to 2022. It's been great to have you, and you're welcome back anytime. Awesome. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Did you know that you have a superpower? No, we're not talking about flying or reading minds, although those would be pretty cool to have. You have the incredible ability to help young people see their own superpowers. Boys and Girls Clubs and Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Edmonton and Area, also called BGC Bigs, needs you now. Consider sharing your time with a young person. They want to hear your stories. Over the past year, BGC Bigs heard from young people that having a mentor means they are less likely to have anxiety, feel isolated, or struggle with their mental health. But there are over 600 young people waiting for a mentor in their lives today. There is a strong need for mentors in the Big Brothers, Big Sisters, or Big Siblings program, in school, for our Youth in Care program, and for the new PRISM program, supporting 2S LGBTQ plus young people. There is also a need for virtual tutors who can support young people as they transition back to school and are dealing with the learning loss over the last two years. 
Join BGC Biggs for a virtual coffee or apply now to be a mentor at bgcbigs.ca or you can just Google BGC Biggs Edmonton. Your priority, their future. We're excited to continue hearing from our new city council. And joining us today from Ward Tastawiniwak, we have Karen Principe. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, Mac. And thank you, Andrew, for having me. And well done on the pronunciation. Very impressive. Uh, yes, Troy and I throughout the, the last couple of months have been really trying to make sure we nail that. Yours is a little bit more difficult than some of them, but not impossible. I think people can learn it. Absolutely. Uh, Karen, congratulations on your election to city council. I know it's a little bit old news now, but tell us a little bit about who you are and for the listener who doesn't know anything about you, what should they know about Councillor Karen Principe? Well, my background is actually in the healthcare field. I uh, am a registered dental hygienist and I've always been a very uh, active community member. I like to volunteer and uh with my family in the community, but also around the city. And one of the reasons I decided to run is not so much that I wanted to really actually be a politician, but I really did want to represent my community and be a strong voice for my community. I feel I'm very connected to it and I would be a good voice for my community. So volunteer, lifelong volunteer, it sounds like, somebody who wants to contribute to the community. Was there a trigger recently or something, an event or, or an issue that stood out to you that made you think, I should run for council to do something about that? Not necessarily a trigger. It's maybe an accumulation of things that uh, it's more that I wanted to make sure that the community is going to be um, safe and viable and thriving so that my kids can actually stay in the community and hopefully raise their family in the community because we've lived here for 20, 23 years in this community and I want to stay here and I'd like to have my family close by me. So yeah, selfishly speaking, I want to make sure it's the best community it can be so that my family can be here and be happy. Fair enough. Is there something you were you know, common themes that you were hearing at the doors, something that you really want to make sure we're aware of uh, that you hope to be working on throughout the duration of your term? Yeah, most of the concerns were based around um, maybe public transportation, but I know that there was um, a revision of the transportation ETS, but they have uh, since are starting to revise that again and making some changes. So that's really great to see. Uh, also, you know, accountability. Everyone's very concerned about their tax dollars being spent properly. And that is what I assured them that I was going to go in and do my due diligence and make sure that uh, I was looking at all the different aspects of how we're spending money. And not that the city hasn't been doing a good job necessarily with it, but I do think that a fresh set of eyes is always good. And also, um, it's, a, it's a constantly changing process. You have to always be uh, watching and seeing where we can make some changes to be more efficient. Your ward, I would describe as sort of north central, I think, uh, in terms of the geography of the city. Are there issues you have in mind for your term, you know, this year or over the next three years that are unique to your ward and that you would like to, to think about or to work on? Uh, well, certain uh, ward-specific issues, um, we need 
a couple of the major roadways widened, uh, such as 167 Avenue and 66th Street. Those are a major concern for many uh, residents of the area. Also, the area has really seen uh, a large amount of densification. Uh, Combined with the decrease in transit service, it was really uh, starting to look like it was... um, imbalanced. And so now that uh, I, you know, I've spoken with ETS and um, they've really done a lot to help um, make some changes in the area. Uh, It hasn't started yet, but they are, they, they are on the path of uh, finding a better system for us and making sure that we're getting the service we need here in the community. Okay, final question then, since we have your colleague, Andrew, here. What's it been like working with uh, Councillor Knack and some of the uh, councillors who returned for, you know, subsequent terms? Well, I feel sorry for Councillor Knack because he has to sit beside me (laughs) and I am constantly asking him questions. And he is a true gentleman and wonderful because even if we disagree on an issue, he will always give me the the great advice. He'll always give me good advice and he will let me have my own opinion and he will never trick me <laughs> into voting <laughs> a certain way. So I really appreciate it. He has been fantastic. The other uh, counselors, Tim Cartmel and Sarah Hamilton, who are also um, have been on council before, have been fantastic. They are very welcoming and they have never made me feel um, beneath them for not knowing certain things. They've always been very respectful. And I, I can't say enough, Andrew. Yeah, thank you so much, because I don't know what I would have done without you through budget deliberations. It was I asked him so many questions and he always had so much patience for me. So I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you. I feel like you, you had to give that answer. You had to give the good answer. Because if, if you're like, oh, he's a real jerk, I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, we cut you off. Your time is up today. Thanks no, 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 not at all. Not at all. Well, thank you, Karen. Uh, we wish you all the best as you guys pick up uh, after the holiday break here on Council. We'll be paying attention to uh, all the issues that come before you. Well, thank you, Mac. I really appreciate it. And I uh, really enjoyed uh, the conversation. Thank you. Well, there's one more thing to do, and I'm going to hand it over to you, Councillor Knack. All right. Well, that's it. We just got to do the close and see if we can time this properly. And so I think uh, thanks for tuning in this week to Speaking Municipally. I'm Andrew. I'm Karen. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. We nailed it again. Nailed, nailed it. it again. I hope you keep that in without any editing. Oh, I won't be editing either of them. You didn't even join the Speaking Municipally state. That's, that's, that's how bitter you are right now. I'm sorry. So, Troy, not as bad as you thought? I mean, whatever. Andrew didn't host. You hosted. (laughs)